This is David Johnson, principal at Offit Kerman, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 121 of the IP Fridays podcast. I'm Ken Suzanne, co-host of the IP Fridays podcast, along with Rolf Clayson. Rolf and I hope you are having a great summer, and we both thank you for listening to our podcast. Summer is an ideal time to catch up on our growing library of podcast episodes. So after you listen to this episode, check out ipfridays.com for a complete list of past episodes, or check out the listing of past episodes on your podcast player. Today's guest is David Johnson, a principal with the law firm of Offit Kerman, and we explore the fascinating and developing world of NFTs. But before we get to today's interview, some news from the European Union on sound mark protection. Recently, Arda Metal Beverage Holdings, a German company, faced multiple roadblocks and refusals, attempting to register the sound of a beverage can opening and fizzing as a trademark. Arda produces metal cans for a variety of carbonated beverages. The company applied for a trademark with the European Union Intellectual Property Office for the sound made by a drink can being opened, followed by silence of approximately one second and a fizzing sound lasting approximately 9 seconds. The EU IPO rejected Arda's application because the sound lacked distinctiveness, stating it is not distinctive to attempt to register a fizzy drinks can any more than it would be to copyright music notes on a 12-step scale. Arda appealed the EU IPO's decision to the European General Court, arguing the pause before the fizzing sound and the length of the fizzing sound is unique to Arda's goods. The court disagreed with Arda and affirmed the UIPO's decision, stating sound marks must have a certain resonance which enables the target consumer to perceive it as a trademark and not as a functional element or as an indicator without any inherent characteristic. Arda can appeal the European General Court's decision to the European Court of Justice. Now on to today's interview with David Johnson. Our guest today on the IP Fridays podcast is David Johnson. David is a principal attorney in the Intellectual Property Practice Group of Offit Kerman and is based in their Tyson's Corner, Virginia office. David helps businesses manage complex brand issues, focusing on intellectual property strategies, prosecution, and enforcement. He also works on a wide variety of branding and technology-related matters, including social media and advertising, privacy, product and packaging claims review, and intellectual property transactions. Mr. Johnson received his JD from William & Mary Law School, where he was executive editor of the William & Mary Business Law Review, and a member of the Business Law Field Consultancy Clinic 
at William & Mary's Mason School of Business. Welcome, David, to the IP Fridays podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. David, there has been a lot of buzz online and offline about NFTs. What exactly is an NFT? That's the question of the day, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so an NFT is a non-fungible token, uh, which put really simply means that it's a one-of-a-kind digital token that's managed through a decentralized ledger uh, that essentially records the transactions. If we were to boil it down even further, it's an asset with evidence of ownership. Uh, so put it into real-world concepts so we all think about when you go and buy a car, you get the car, but your proof of ownership comes through the title, which is recorded with the DMV. You can think of the NFT and the smart contract behind it, uh, which is recorded on the blockchain, which is that decentralized ledger that I mentioned, uh, as the, the title, uh, and it proves your ownership of the car. Now, just like with the car, having the title doesn't actually... Uh, you know, it's not the car itself. You can't go and drive it. But if anybody questions, should you, if you own it, you have that document to prove it. Mm -hmm. So when you're buying an NFT, that's really what you're getting. And like anything else on the blockchain, uh, it's there. It's supposed to be permanent record of your ownership. But unlike things like Bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies, an NFT is non-fungible, meaning that it's not freely exchangeable for something else. So one uh, Bitcoin or one Ethereum is the same thing as any other Bitcoin or Ethereum. With an NFT, we're really focusing on its uniqueness. And why all of a sudden, David, uh, have NFTs become front and center? What, what's happening in society? You know, it, that's funny because NFTs really aren't that new. They've really been around since about 2015. But they entered the public consciousness a lot uh, earlier this year uh, with some really eye-popping sales of some artwork. Uh, I think the first one that really caught my attention, um, besides a general awareness of NFTs and some of their earlier forms, was the sale of a $69 million piece of digital artwork that was actually comprised of 14 years' worth of daily illustrations by an artist named Beeple. So they've really caught everybody's attention now because you're seeing sales of this digital art through an asset that most people hadn't heard about. And the numbers are up there with some of the highest sales for artwork or any other collectibles out there. So it's really caught a lot of people's attention here. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately they're important because the market says so just like the paper dollar bill, you know, we believe that it has value. So it has value, but NFTs represent a little bit more than just expensive collectibles. There's a lot of opportunity behind them and how they can be used. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the attention that these early uh, high sales of artwork generated actually started creating uh, some thoughts and other you know, brand owners and how they could exploit NFTs. So you're seeing things like some of the earlier uses included uh, use in video games for unique loot boxes or character skins or, you know, weapons. Uh, even, uh, I think in 2017, there was a game called Crypto Kitties where you could buy and trade uh, unique dig digital cats. Um, 
the NBA picked up on it for uh, tradable or collectible trading cards uh, of sorts. There are moments from NBA games from the prior season uh, through the NBA top shots. So this has been picked up by a lot of different uh, owners of content, owners of you know valuable resources that wanted to find a new way to reach their market and the the eye-popping prices really drove a lot of interest it drove a lot of creators to get out into that market and it really just spurred a lot of the uh, new ideas around what an nft could be and given that each of these is unique you know they are really valuable because they're rare so effectively you're the only one that owns what you're buying now these can change a lot of different ways but you know this is just important now because it it represents a new toy that content creators have to get out there and provide something of value to their fans around the world so let's say i go out tomorrow and i want to buy an nft what would i be getting in my hands or in my email box what can i expect to see to show that i own this nft yeah, so you go out and you buy NFTs through a variety of marketplaces. These are linked to the various blockchains that are out there. The The most common one for NFTs is the Ethereum blockchain, uh, but there's, there's a number of marketplaces out there. And when you buy the NFT, uh, you do that by exchanging some uh, cryptocurrency for it, typically, um, and you do that through your crypto wallet. And when you buy the NFT, you get a registration in your wallet that says you own this. And that's basically it. So the NFT, as I mentioned earlier, you have the asset, which let's say this is a piece of digital art. That is linked through a smart contract and it lives separate from that contract. It's not something that's embedded, but you can access that through your wallet. Uh, You don't necessarily get a physical copy, but there are, uh, you know, there are different content creators that are exploring ways to bring NFTs into the real world. So for the most part, you just have proof of ownership and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing for a lot of buyers uh, that they may or may not know, depending on how closely they read the contract, they are just getting ownership over the right to say that they have the ability to display that one NFT. It's essentially a license. Uh, it's you know similar to a C license in sports, or uh, you know it's IP uh, license, or is you know anything using the IP that's in a contract there. But you don't get the most of the times you don't get the copyright. So you have very limited rights in what you can do with this, other than you know showing it privately for the most part, holding it in their uh, digital wallet reselling it, and then essentially having bragging rights that you own a multi-million dollar asset. (laughs) What about the IP issues, intellectual property, with respect to content creators? How does that fit into the analysis? Yeah, so content creators really have a lot of uh, leverage and a lot of risk in the IP market space. Uh, This is an opportunity for people who, you know, had created things on the internet that largely were circulated without, you know, necessarily getting value. Uh, there's, you know, for people creating new art, it's a way to reach a different market and sell things. And, 
you know, really get exposure uh, in a way that, and get value from it that they maybe not, uh, they maybe weren't able to get before. Mm-hmm. So if you're a content creator going out there, you want to find a marketplace that will, you know, allow you to sell the work the way that you want to. Um, you know, you're considering how the marketplace advertises the NFTs to the public and, you know, what it describes that they're getting with their purchase. So, you know, if they're implying that they own the artwork and they can do whatever they want with it, maybe they're leading a buyer to believe that they're getting the copyright. Uh, You know, the content creators also want to make sure that when they are licensing their IP, either for someone else to create uh, NFTs or if they're minting the NFTs themselves, which the term for the creation process is minting, uh, if they're minting it themselves, they want to make sure that these smart contracts behind the NFTs are carefully regulating what the buyer is allowed to do with it. So you you want to make sure that it's a license to the NFT, not an assignment of ownership of the copyright, assuming they want to retain it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's also, you know, that's part of the process of going out and selling the NFT. But there are all sorts of, you know, with any other... Uh, as with any other kind of intellectual property, there's risks of bad actors going out there and minting NFTs of a creator's own works. So if you're a content creator out there, there's this new arena where you actually have to go out and be proactive in making sure that somebody else isn't misappropriating your copyrighted work. Or your, if you're a major brand that has trademarks, your trademarks or you know anything like that. So, you know, it creates a new wrinkle for content creators to go out there and make sure that what they have created isn't being uh, counterfeited by third parties. And for the most part, the uh, marketplaces do try to verify that the sellers are who they say they are and that they own the rights that they have. But some of the early ways of verifying identities was through checking, you know, somebody's social media usage to make sure that, you know, they represented, you know, who they say they are. Now, just like any other identities out there, it's not that difficult to spoof an identity of a social media account or somebody else and trick one of these marketplaces. So there's all sorts of unauthorized uh, reproductions of copyrighted works out there. Uh, There's also people that may have believed they had rights to do things that they don't have. Uh, There's, you know, an early anecdote of Uh, DC Comics going after, uh, well, seeing that one of their former illustrators had made $1.85 million off of selling NFTs featuring DC characters. And DC had to then go around and inform their creative teams and their freelancers that going off and creating NFTs with their characters was a definite no-no. So, you know, even if you're the company employing the creators, you have concerns here going out and monitoring, making sure that people aren't doing things that they're not supposed to do. And, you know, for the most part, because these are really novel uh, marketplaces, some of the traditional tools that uh, IP lawyers and brand and uh, content owners have used to uh, monitor their IP rights don't necessarily cover uh, NFT marketplaces. Mm -hmm. So if you're using something like a watch service, that may not get to the level of an NFT marketplace. So a lot of this is really manual. It's hard to find. 
And if you're not somebody who's thinking about selling it, uh, selling NFTs directly, you may still experience all of those risks. Um, there's also, you know, there's interesting news that comes out uh, just this week, I think, um, where Damon Dash, who's the co-founder of uh, Rockefeller Records, wanted to sell an NFT that included the copyright for Jay-Z's uh, debut album. But he is a co-founder of the company, and the company believes that it owned the asset, uh, which was the copyright. So there's even a dispute between the company and the co-founder over what they can do. Hmm. There's a lot of ambiguity here. Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting space that hits on a lot of the interesting things that got us all into intellectual property. Um, but, you know, it's new and we have so much that's yet to be seen in how uh, IP rights will be affected and the considerations that content creators will have and how they can even go back and enforce their rights or claw things back if, you know, an unauthorized work was sold as an NFT before the creator was aware of it. Hmm. What about from the perspective of marketplaces and buyers? What are some of the IP issues that are being talked about these days? Sure. Yeah, so the, the marketplaces themselves definitely want to ensure that the content that's available for sale is something that is reliable. Uh, they want to know that the person selling it has the rights to do so. But just like a lot of commercial contracts, you know, when you sign up to join a marketplace and when you're minting the NFTs, you're making representations and warranties that you have the rights that you say you have. So ultimately, the marketplace is going to kick it back to the person minting the NFT to, you know, if there's any sort of copyright infringement or trademark infringement. Mm -hmm. From a PR perspective, you know, of course, it's bad for the marketplace not only to be infringing uh, creators' rights or, you know, aiding somebody to uh, infringe those rights. And it's, it's going to become a complicated issue where an NFT gets sold and it's purchased through, you know, using cryptocurrency. Uh, it may be through a user who's under a pseudonym. We don't necessarily know who they are. Uh, and, you know, the person, sorry, the person minting it may be under a pseudonym. Uh, we may not know who they are. And so, if this is sold as a counterfeit, somebody is, the buyer is out a lot of money, potentially. The marketplace isn't going to want to refund that because it wasn't their fault. And they may not be able to go out and find the person who minted the actual NFT. So there's going to be some interesting issues. Um, and frankly, I can't wait to see some of this future litigation. Yeah, definitely. It, it will be fascinating. I was uh, thinking about that as you were talking about, you know, the things that are happening there's many opportunities, I think, that uh, we'll be reading about uh, where parties may uh, litigate uh, over ownership and other things. Um, so it's definitely something to, to, to watch out for. What about from the perspective of content creators? If you're a content creator, uh, what can you do to, today to protect yourself? And is there something like that a content creator should be looking at to get involved in this space uh, as things develop? Yeah. Um, you know, as with any IP, the first step is to be vigilant. You know, know what IP rights you have and try to monitor those as much as possible. Uh, this is easier said than done if you're a small creator. If you're 
you know, a big corporation like the DC Comics that I mentioned. So they have more resources. They can put staff on reviewing the marketplaces for new drops. You know, they're going to see what new NFTs are coming out. Um, you know, they, they have more of an ability. But if you're a content creator, you definitely want to look at all the different avenues you have to protect your intellectual property. And that's where this is actually not that different from, you know, any other IP rights that are out there. So if this were physical artwork uh, versus digital, uh, you know, through blockchain, this doesn't really make a difference anymore. So you have a lot of ways of trying to protect yourself. Vigilance is the first, making sure that, you know, unwanted sales don't happen. And if you notice that you have artwork on a marketplace that's up for auction uh, for an NFT, you can actually send a DMCA notice to the marketplace. And it seems that a lot of them are honoring those right now. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to be involved in selling something where, you know, the person minting the NFT didn't have the rights. Sure. So that's your first step. Get that content taken down. Uh, there's other proactive things that you can do as well. Um, you know, registering your copyrights, always a good idea. Uh, it allows you to go and, you know, sue if somebody is infringing the copyrights in federal court. Um, you know, but you can also consider the other forms of IP protection. If you have a, you know, particularly novel way of presenting the NFT, for example, the the NBA Top Shots uses a almost a cube frame for their uh, highlight NFTs, and that's different from how anybody else presents it. So that might be something that could be protected through a design patent. Um, you know, if you are if you know you're going to be entering into the market and selling NFTs, you can obtain trademark protection for those NFTs. So, that, you know, there's all sorts of brand owners out there that are engaging in this. Um, I did a search not too long ago and saw that, you know, Fender Guitars has trademark applications related to NFTs for their Stratocaster trademark or for the Fender trademark. Uh, there's also applications out there for people that you may not consider. Um, some may be more obvious than others, but Saks Fifth Avenue is putting out trademarks for NFTs. Um, KISS, the band, has trademarks or has applications. Uh, even the Andy Warhol Foundation, maybe a little more obvious in that sense. But, mm -hmm. you know, these are all strategies that content creators can pursue. And it's just one more avenue to protect your rights. If you're going out and selling the NFTs, maybe you missed the initial copyright ground. But, you know, you weren't able to stop it with the DMCA notice. But if you need to pursue somebody who is infringing your rights, you know, any, I think any attorney would advise you, you want to have as strong of uh, a case as possible. And it's not just necessarily limited to your copyright. It can also fall under the uh, infringement of a design patent, maybe a utility patent, uh, if you have unique ways of uh, presenting a marketplace, for example, uh, or the trademarks as well. David, we're getting near the end of our interview. I have a question that is, uh, what other applications might be out there for NFTs beyond collectibles? What's next for NFTs, in other words? You know, NFTs are something that has been a challenge to wrap my head around because every time I think I have it, I hear of a new idea. So, you know, NFTs can really be used in a lot of different places. It's not just collectibles. It's not just artwork. 
It's, you know, digital trading cards. It can be things like video footage, uh, songs. You could, you know, even sell individual tracks as an NFT um, just to almost like a digital rights management software to record who actually owns it. Um, you can, you know, pursue things like event tickets to verify that somebody's actually the holders. There can be rewards, exclusive access to different things. Uh, there's even creative people that are using NFTs as digital tokens that can be exchanged for real world things. So there's a San Francisco street artist I like called Finch who is using the NFT as a token that can be exchanged for a physical copy of the exact same piece of art. And then if you don't want the, you know, don't want to be possessing a physical copy anymore, you can turn that back and get the digital token again. Um, I even have seen things of, uh, one of the betting companies creating digital DNA for racehorses, for digital uh, horse races and gambling. Um, it seems that the ideas behind NFTs are limitless at this point. So anywhere, any place where you have an asset where you want to track ownership and you want it through this immutable ledger that is blockchain, that's all ripe uh, to be an NFT. David, this is really fascinating. I'm sure we'll be reading about developments uh, in NFT technology in, in the months and years to come. I want to thank you for being a guest today on the IP Fridays podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.